Guess what? Chicken butt. <laughs> well, I could play that song. There's this song on here, Cold Dead Chicken. Uh, that that was from uh, Raj and Bob calling in well. Yeah. And, um... Very good stuff. I have a little... Well, The Guardian on the greenest music, CD or download. What do you think is greener? Oh, let's see. Oh, I think download. Well, it matters. Lloyd once got so enthused about how the iPod Nano might be a contender for green product of the year, Warren was a bit more skeptical. These are <laughs> theoretical people. Seeing as it required a computer to transfer the music to the player, and we all know that computers are crammed with a plenty of nasties. They are. Surely some industrial soul must have done a life cycle assessment, or an LCA. You're going to have to remember that one someday. On just how much energy iPod use might be. Almost a year later, we stumbled upon just such researcher quoted by the British Guardian's environmental blog. They found a 2003 study by Digital Europe which looked at the ecological rucksack for getting your ears onto an average album. Purchasing a CD at a shop came in at 1.6 kilograms of carbon while ordering the same physical disc over the internet reduced this to 1.3 kilograms. Hmm. Downloading music dropped this even further, almost half to 1.7 kilograms. Mind you, buying your new beats via the likes of iTunes is one thing, but then if you burn your own CD from the download, your ecological rucksack shoots way up to 5.5 kilograms. Oh. And buying a fresh new iPod every time a shiny new model comes out doesn't garner any brownie points either this makes for an intriguing read go online to the guardian for the guardian on the greenest music <laughs> newspapers are starting to have blogs now yeah that's fine to try to keep up to date and i guess stay connected to their readers yeah so 
And there's actually somewhere on there about how newspapers, I think it's the final news article. Yeah, about, yeah, newspapers. <laughs> People still read those things? <laughs> newspapers and magazine companies seek to lessen environmental impact. A handful of large publishers are, being, are beginning to think about the eco-impact of the paper they publish on. The paper industry is the fourth largest source of carbon dioxide emissions among U.S. manufacturers. Paper production uses gobs of energy, and then there's the impact of chopping down trees. At did, the f did you know that two-thirds of the trees coming from Canada comes to the U.S. for newspapers? Uh, no, I didn't know that. Yep. That's unfortunate. Two-thirds of virgin trees. Virgin trees. I mean... Yeah. And then there's the impact of chopping down trees at the front end and of recycling or burning old newspapers and magazines at the back. Time Incorporated participated in a study published this year that determined that an average copy of Time magazine resulted in about 0.29 pounds of greenhouse gas emissions. In May, the company asked its paper suppliers to reduce their emissions 20% by 2012. Rupert Murdoch recently announced a plan to make News Corporation carbon neutral. That's interesting. There is, of course, more to the trend than altruism. Quote, we've recognized that these are issues that are important to our readers and, increasingly, important to our advertisers, says David J. Refkin of Time Incorporated. Declining circulation of many newspapers is also helping to decrease emissions as readers flock to accessible, intelligent, pun-filled online media. <laughs> yep. Straight to the source, New York Times, 25th of October, 2006. We get a lot of our news. Well, I'm subscribed <laughs> to the Environmental News Service, which you actually have to pay money for that one. Otherwise, there's Tree Hugger and there's Grist. Both yeah. of these are solely online, essentially newspapers. They go and get information from different places, and they post it on there, and then people can comment on it. Um, I don't like tree. I like Tree Hugger, the email version, but the online version is has way too much advertising. Huh. Yeah. But um, I actually do have a happening. Ah, uh, yes, happenings. We do have one or two of those. If you would like your happenings to well happen, you have to let us know so we can let people know. Yes. Um, the Department of Cinema and Photography Visiting Artists Series A documentary by Valerie Carr Valerie Carr <coughs> will be presenting her feature-length documentary Divided We Fall It examines the hate crime murder of Bilber Singh Saudi in Phoenix, Arizona on September 15, 2001 His death at a Phoenix area gas station was one of the first estimated 19 retribution murders in the aftermath of 9-11. This is a moving story that brings us to the intersections of violence, identity, and power in America and forces us to confront where we stand as a people. Five years in the making, Divided We Fall weaves expert analysis into a cross-country road trip that confronts the forces dividing Americas in times of crisis. Two filmmakers, one camera, 14 American cities, four months on the road, 130 hours of footage, and the question, who counts as American? Again, the Department of Cinnamon Photography, Monday, October 30th at 6.30 p.m. at Lawson Hall 101.
Yeah. No, I'd heard about that particular story, so seeing the film about it should be interesting. Other happenings? Yes, other happenings. That's right. The Free Film Friday. At See, the... I make you say it. Yes. Every <laughs> week. Free Film Friday at the Bing Muddy IMC. This week, the film is Iraq for Sale. It's all about uh, tracking, you know, the people who are profiting off of the war in Iraq and the decision makers and the, you know, the lives that are affected by it as well, both in Iraq and beyond. So that's Iraq for Sale. That's tonight at 7 p.m. at the Big Muddy IMC, 214 North Washington in Carbondale. And you know how I like to have tips every once in a while. Usually they're about energy efficiency, <laughs> but it's the beginning of winter. Um, I can do energy efficiency, but right now, what's in season? Apples, apples, and more apples. <laughs> Yay. Eat them, pick them, make cider out of them, drink them, bob for them, try a new variety at the farmer's market, bake them, make a pie from them, make wine or hard cider from them, eat them with cheese, eat them with hazelnuts, carve faces in them and dehydrate them <laughs> for Halloween. Juggle them, feed them to your horse, dehydrate them, make apple muffins, leave them in bowls as direction, de decorations. <laughs> You get the idea. Today's tip, apples. Apples. <laughs> yes, and for your Halloween party that you surely throw, you can go bobbing for apples there. It's a lot harder than you think. It is. <laughs> Especially if you do it in a five-gallon bucket. <laughs> Especially if you do it outside where it's cold, too. <laughs> well, um, we used to always do it in a five-gallon bucket, and you only can just barely get your head in it. <laughs> so the only way to actually get it is get the apple and push it to the side. So basically you have to duck your whole head in. Yeah. Because you can't push it to the bottom like you can in like a wash tub or, you know, most dunking places. <laughs> but, so. Yeah. Back so, to the news. Fun with apples, yes. <laughs> back to the news. On the apples, though, too, that reminded me of Bioneers. Like the, we had the Heartland Bioneers last weekend. And it reminded me of it because at the, uh, the, local farmers lunches they had apple cider <laughs> oh they ha there's some local apple cider that's um what is it unpasteurized yeah so it still has it seems like when you cook food or especially cider at least it loses some of its taste yeah and um oh it was great yeah there was actually uh there was a little bit left over that I got to have uh, yesterday. <laughs> oh, so it, and it was still right good. now it's hard, is it? No, it? no, I was surprised. I expected it to be, you know, to be all uh, fermented by this time. But no, it was still good. You sure? You're kind of bubbly. <laughs> we <laughs> must have gotten it really fresh for Bioneers. Yeah. Um, yeah, I was actually kind of disappointed in Southern Illinois' representation at Bioneers, people who came to the conference. Mm -hmm. At the... One time during the conference, um, they asked people to stand up that came from out of town. And two-thirds of the people huh. who stood up were from out of town. Yeah. And, I mean, people drove from Wisconsin, um, Chicago, long, you know, whole day's drive to come to this conference. Well, because it is actually one of the leading envirosocial, tr true envirosocial conferences in the world yeah i think i mean i go to lots and lots of environmental um conferences and first of all a lot of them don't tie in the whole social aspect yeah. of environmentalism and then a lot of them are people who talk about stuff you should do 
versus, I mean, the people who talk at Bioneers are people who are doing. I mean, that one guy just completely blew me away about the mushrooms. Yeah, Paul Stamets. <laughs> I mean, he came up with the type of mushroom that will eat oil spills and pollution and, I mean... And each time the mushrooms grow, they reseed themselves, and each time there is less poison in the mushrooms. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's using nature to clean up our mess. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, so. It is. It's pretty exciting. Bioremediation. I studied some of that while I was in Missouri, too. <laughs> so let's see. In other news, what do we have in news today? I have one about um, eco-friendly fire. Uh-huh. Now, this is fire as in shooting somebody oh uh oh <laughs> british arms manufacturers produces green weapons one of the world's largest arms manufacturers british aerospace is investing heavily in eco-friendly weapons <coughs> soldiers and civilians may now be blown up by a recyclable explosive <laughs> hit by a reduced toxic rocket or bombed by a fuel efficient fighter jet biodegradable line mines and their victims both turn into compost over time quieter warheads reduce noise pollution less smoky grenades reduce air pollution and reduce lead bullets if left in the environment quote do not cause any additional harm said deborah allen director of corporate responsible corporate social responsibility at british aerospace now that's a good that's a good title for someone in a business huh <laughs> corporate social responsibility. Yeah, that's that's a role that should exist, I guess. I guess corporations <laughs> are starting to get um, consciences. <laughs> Meanwhile, British troops will stay safe in their armored vehicles, hybrid, naturally. Quote, no company, regardless of what they make, can now just make a product, bung it out there, and then forget about it, said Alan. Bung it out there. I like that. <laughs> We all have a duty of care to ensure that from cradle to grave products are being used appropriately and not causing lasting harm. She's talking about weapons. Weapons, here. yeah. We, we need weapons that don't cause lasting harm. Straight to the source, BBC News, the 26th of October, and The Times, the 17th of September, 2006. Yeah, a, a lot of um, the Army is starting to use hybrid vehicles for everything. Um, like hybrid electric because they can switch over to the electric and there's no um, it doesn't make heat so there's no heat signature yeah it's quiet you can sneak up on people imagine a humvee <laughs> being able to sneak up on a crowd of people yeah it's stealth technology <laughs> it's quiet as can be so well it's good to know their hearts they're doing it for the right reasons <laughs> i didn't notice them saying anything about uh du you know, depleted uranium. Yeah. Because that's very common now to get the depleted uranium and put it as a tip to a warhead or a bullet because it has greater, well, explosive potential. Yeah. And then, well, the uranium sits around everywhere. Yes, for a long, long, long right. time. But it makes a really good um, armor-piercing bullet, I guess. Yeah. So that would probably not qualify as a green weapon. Unless the, the glowing uranium, you know... <laughs> Oh, that kind of green. That kind of green. <laughs> so let's see. Yeah, well, it says green weapons. When I first read it, I thought, well, they're just going to paint them green. <laughs> yeah. That would be a step in the right direction, right? <laughs> yeah, they're greener now. <laughs> <clears throat> so let's see. In other news, junk in the trunk. American food guzzling leads to more gas guzzling. 
Not. <laughs> yes, American. More gas guzz. Oh, not gas producing, but gas, gas guzzling. guzzling. Yeah. I think I understand where this is going. Yeah, and I had to. I read this one earlier, so I just the, the statistics blew me away. Here's more motivation to go on that diet. You'll use less gasoline. Non-commercial U.S. vehicles are using at least 938 million more gallons of gasoline annually than they did in 1960 because drivers and passengers are considerably heavier and are dragging down the fuel economy, says a University of Illinois study to be published in The Engineering Economist. In 1960, the average adult female weighed 140 pounds and the average adult male weighed 166. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we already know the figures are going to be different. 166 pounds was the average male? I guess. Wow. In 2002, the averages were 164 and 191, respectively. <laughs> and 62% of adults were considered overweight. That's 938 million gallons is no shabby amount. It represents $2.8 billion of gas if gas is selling at $3 per gallon. And it could fuel some 1.7 million cars for a year or feed the entire U.S. gasoline addiction for three days. Quote, we had no idea the numbers would be this big, said study co-author Sheldon Jacobson, who calls using less fuel a, quote, unexpected benefit of losing that spare tire. Straight to the source, Chicago Tribune, 25th of October, 2006. I want to know what made him think of doing that study. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I want to know, too. Just saying, oh, look at, you know, people are fatter. I don't know. What would make you think of doing a study to see that, you know, we weigh more now, therefore we're using more gas? Yeah. <laughs> Maybe someone just, you know, set their mind out to think of every single way that gas could be conserved, and it just dawned on them one day. Hmm. So... Well, we're talking about human energy, kind of. Getting rid of that extra energy that you have stored, you might yeah. as well use it sometime. I mean, battery power. <laughs> I mean, people are energy conserving, but that doesn't mean you have to save it for, you know, uh, forever. I mean, yeah, that's. I don't understand. Spare tire? I guess that's in case the car breaks down, eh? <laughs> yeah. Pace. Pace the final frontier. <laughs> Engineers hope to harvest human energy. Now, this isn't like in those space science fiction <laughs> movies where they hook you up like in The Matrix. Yeah. This is actually, scientists and engineers are looking to make use of human-powered energy. Don't worry. They don't want to hook you up to electroids. The means of capturing, uh, capturing the energy may be as unobtrusive as a matrix of pressure pads under sidewalks and floors. A matrix of pressure pads. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't resist. Um, do you remember that, that story we did a few um, weeks ago about yeah. an actual um, club? The club, the dance floor. Where they were planning to you know, make the whole floor, you know, from people jumping up and down, power in the, the music. and. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've, I actually um, was at a concert where they had a whole bunch of bicycles lined up where you pedal the bicycles to power a generator <laughs> that charged batteries that went through an inverter and powered the concert. Yeah. And if the music was good, at the end of the weekend, the batteries were as charged as when the started. Of course, if the band isn't any good, people don't pedal, you know. So <laughs> I guess they know at the end of the weekend, you know, our, our batteries charged up. Well, we did a good job. Yeah. They should, on the, 
the readout, they should have a little bandometer that says how cool the band was. <laughs> you have just come up with something interesting. <laughs> bandometer. Okay, quote, when we walk along a pavement, eight watts of energy is wasted, absorbed by the ground with each heel. Yet it's possible to harvest at least 30% of that energy, explains Claire Price, leader of the Pace Setters Project, which aims to install the world's first human harvesting stairway in the United Kingdom next year. Quote, Human-powered energy could power lighting, LED displays, audio systems used in public places, she adds. Price is also working with the manufacturer of gym equipment to develop a way to harvest energy from treadmills. Another way you may soon be able to make yourself useful, a shoe device that will capture walking energy and use it to power portable electronic devices being explored by the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, MIT. Straight to the source, The Independent, the 26th of October, 2006. And there's actually, I don't know if you ever heard of Gaviotis, a village in Colombia, yeah. South America. Um, there's a book out. I almost never remember titles, but Gaviotis, a village to reinvent the world. Hmm. And they have their whole playground designed to pump water. I mean, the merry-go-round pumps water. Is that the thing you spin? Is that called yeah, merry-go-round? the yeah. merry-go-round. And the seesaws, and they pump water into their big tanks to water the animals. <laughs> so kids at play. Um, they Kid have, power. They have all kinds of other technology, but that was, for me, the most interesting. <laughs> so. Yeah, I wonder if they explain to the kids to teach them how much power they have. Like, hey, look, you're making the water flow. They'll quit playing. <laughs> yeah. It's like, don't tell them they're working. <laughs> I mean, that's the thing. I mean, <laughs> work should be play for everybody. Yeah. I mean. <coughs> so let's see. In other news, I, I had to read this one because I'm fascinated by the strangeness of pop culture. <laughs> Leonardo DiCaprio's new green reality show. Reality TV has taken viewers down some pretty low roads, but the genre may have a shot at redemption. If Leonardo DiCaprio's new eco-program... Just because of Leonardo DiCaprio. Yeah. Leonardo DiCaprio is going to just single-handedly save reality TV. Oh, we can see. <laughs> He's got a new program, Etopia, and it's trying to find a home on network TV. The project, which will chronicle the green renovation of a small American town, was developed by Craig Pillagian from CBS's Survivor of Pilgrim Films and television, and Tom Mazza of Madison Road Entertainment. <coughs> Excuse me. Hmm. The pair approached DiCaprio and his Appian Way production company, knowing that the eco-celeb would be a perfect fit for the environmentally-themed program, and he enthusiastically agreed. All three will share co-creator and executive director roles for the program, says Pillagian of the project, quote, We're going to take a devastated community and help transform it as a prototype for the future. At the end of the day, we're all going to have to change the way we live, the way we burn, and use fuel. We're trying to show the country and the world by example, town by town by town, how we can change the way we live and fight global warming. So that's pretty interesting. I'm ready. I mean, there, there isn't... Um there's another one where it's just they get groups of people together and they give them a challenge. Yeah. To, like, you know, 
one i saw they built a car that could go on the road across water and um what it had to be a bicycle that could go on um on regular roads um on a dirt trail you know through through mud like four-wheeling yeah and then also cross water and it had to be the same vehicle Uh just a giant and it had to be human powered and it was, I was, it was such a good show. I really liked it. Yeah, harvesting human ingenuity. I heard about too uh, a reality TV show they're trying to do, which will take someone from an intentional community, and what's the show? I think it's Wife Swap, where they switch like which household you know a wife is living in with someone in a different kind. Right. So you know it'd be like the the ordinary everyday American living in a you know a a you know non-intentional community <laughs> <laughs> suburbia suburbia yeah switching that with someone in an intentional community it's so funny you could come up with intentional community but you can't come up with yeah regular well i wanted to call it conventional but then i didn't want to try to i didn't want to give it that credit right yeah <laughs> so um we've been talking about well losing weight here's some a way to um lose some serious weight you know how um Basically, everything we do produces pollution. Yep. Um, carbon, carbon. And there is ways that you can figure out how much carbon you use every year. Yes. How many beans do you eat? Yeah, how many pounds of carbon do you use every year? So the Green Slate Challenge with Treehugger, remember I was telling you about the website Treehugger? Yeah. Um, you can go online to Treehugger, a guide for reducing your personal impact. You probably already know that the average temperature of the Earth's surface has risen about one degree Fahrenheit over the past years, past hundred years, and that it's mostly due to human activity. In a nutshell, that's global warming. So what can you do about it? We're glad you asked, because today marks the official launch of the Slate Green Challenge with Treehugger, and you are cordially invited to participate. Uh, on average, every American is responsible for about 22 tons. That's tons with a T. Yes. <laughs> of carbon dioxide emissions every year. That's equivalent to the emissions of about four cars. How can you change that? By joining our eight-week carbon diet. It begins with a quiz that it will assess your overall carbon emissions footprint, and then each week, starting with transportation we'll give you info and tips on how you can reduce your personal impact come back every week between now and december 11th for the other units we've developed on topics such as food clothing electricity and holiday shopping and don't worry if you missed the launch date you can begin anytime during the week period it actually started two days ago but Collectively, we're hoping for an overall reduction of 20%. Think you can do it? Well, for your efforts, of course, you get a prize. Uh-huh. I'm not going to tell you what the prize is. Top secret. To, yeah, you have to actually go online. It's actually something pretty good. Yeah. And organic. Now go on. Get on over there. Don't you think you can stand to lose 5,000 pounds? <laughs> go to treehugger.com, the Slate Green Challenge. Yes, so. and that reminds me quickly of one other thing I wanted to mention, since it's also related to climate change. It's at grist, grist.org. They've got a guide to 
Discussion points for talking with skeptics about climate change. I believe it's gristmill.grist.org slash skeptics. <laughs> but in case that doesn't work, you can email me or check out the website. It's pretty easy to find. Honestly, you sh I don't think you should try to convince anybody. Yeah. You should just do things. Yeah, I mean, just make the changes yourself. And if someone comes to you and asks, then you can yeah, send them to that website. And besides, losing weight, especially 5,000 pounds in eight <laughs> weeks, yeah, that is cool. <laughs> yeah, and you could, you know, when you're around the water cooler at the office, you can say, yeah, I lost 5,000 pounds this week. <laughs> well, and then, yeah, well, actually, you could. And then people were like, what? Like, what? What? What are you talking about? Here's a website. About? You can check it out. Yeah. <laughs> so I hope to hear from some people that they've lost. Just I want someone to wander up to me and say, you know, I've lost 500 pounds this week. <laughs> yeah. That would be fun. Yeah. So uh, this has been another exciting. Yes, and hopefully informative. I don't know. I wasn't listening. <laughs> um, half hour of Your Community Spirit. We are online at yourcommunityspirit.org. Email is info at yourcommunityspirit.org. Please send us happenings because if we don't announce it, it doesn't happen. Yes. And have fun this coming week with uh, Halloween or Samhain or whatever else you may be celebrating. Because... So I was going to say, don't eat too much candy. Don't eat too much candy, you know. Save some, because if you, you know, let it out slowly, huh. you'll make it to Christmas. Yes. <laughs> hey, baby, you want to dance? You want to dance, baby? They got big orange eyes that can barely focus. Uh -huh. Some folks call them 17-year locusts, but that's the wrong data. Their name is Cicada, and they are here now, but they won't be here later. They got four wings, and they ain't supposed to fly. They just come out the ground, have sex, and die. But I can dig their rig. I like their style, because they make go quick. But they go with a smile. Check it out. Cicada serenade. Check it out. Cicada serenade. There's Cicada. Cicadas on the sidewalk, cicadas on the ground. Space looks like a little tiny Jonestown. Now I wouldn't want nothing to go to waste, so I was wondering how a cicada might taste. Cicada, potato, sounds the same. But let them go to waste to be a crying shame. So I got a couple hundred of them, took them inside. I got a little ketchup and I ate a french fried. I ate each one without hesitation. The next thing you know, I was hallucinating, freaking out. Cicada serenade, freaking out. Cicada serenade, I was out of my mind. My head was in a fog. Next thing you know, I was as a dog. My friends stopped over. They said, let's get high. I said, no way. So they said, bye-bye. Now, I don't need no lovely, no even no cocaine, because I still got them cicadas buzzing around in my brain. So eat your cicadas with every snacker. They can also help you say no to crack. Bugs, not drugs.